0: is the spiritual coaching dashboard. Our mission is to train those who give spiritual counsel to others. Whatever your skill level, we offer accessible and practical advice to those whose life or work frequently leads them to spiritual conversations. Our goal is to foster a growing relational connection with and loyalty to the God of the Bible. We help people choose life-giving reactions to the warning lights on the dashboard of their lives. Our passion Comes from the belief that only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. This podcast, first launched a year ago, as a tool for training my expanding team of spiritual coaches at our growing multi-site church. I can't tell you how surprised I was that now hundreds of people are listening around the world. Wherever you are on the globe, Nancy and I are honored to have you aboard. Speaking of Nancy, my beautiful bride is in the studio with me today.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, honey. And hello, everyone. If you're interested in going back and listening to any of the three previous seasons, it would be helpful to begin with the first episode of season one. Each podcast is a standalone topical treatment, but they are episodic, so listening out of order will leave you without some necessary foundational content.
1: Our intention with this podcast is to keep the explanation simple and relatable, and for the most part, avoid the clinical and theological terminology. So what I did is I swapped that out for modern and easily recognizable metaphors to explain spiritual and biblical ideas, as well as coaching techniques and, and approaches. That doesn't mean that our content is overly simplistic or or dumbed down or, or, or unhelpful to those who are further down the road, just that it's accessible and immensely usable. No matter your familiarity with the subject, you will be able to follow along at whatever level of experience and discover new ways to talk to others about spiritual subjects.
0: Yes, and as we enter this fourth season, we will begin to offer true standalone episodes, tackling both new content as well as returning to subjects we already addressed but feel deserve greater attention. A new feature going forward will be answering specific questions that our listeners have submitted. Questions about specific spiritual coaching subjects or establishing and maintaining a spiritual coaching practice in your context. Listen to the end of the podcast, and I will tell you how to submit questions and ideas for future episodes.
1: Yes, and and it's important that uh, I make a clarification. You understand my use of some terminology. Uh, in all of these podcasts, you, you know, I mentioned spiritual maturity and spiritual growth and those things consistently. Some people, when they hear those terms, especially if they've gone to church all their lives, might be tended to think about attending classes or amassing uh intellectual understanding, and and that's not what I mean when I talk about spiritual maturity or spiritual growth. I'm talking about first-person, hands-on, experiential knowledge of God. Spiritual maturity is knowing Him. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know, and that's what I mean when I talk about spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. If the relationship is strong and growing, everything else that's necessary to life as a follower of Jesus Christ will flow from that.
0: In fact, we want you to know that we named the podcast, The Spiritual Coaching Dashboard, because just like the dashboard in your car, there are warning lights in our lives. They indicate to us that we need to do some heart work with God in order to step into our full potential. We need someone more qualified and experienced to do spiritual wrenching on our souls in order to improve our performance. Our dream for you is that you would unlock your potential through a heart healthy enough to know God deeply and follow Him fully, and then to pass your experience on to others. Now, without further delay, here is today's content.
1: In this episode, I'll share part two of three parts on how to navigate those seasons in life when ministry, or anything else for that matter, is so intense and demanding that it disrupts the rhythms that protect your life and your relationships. So, when a demanding season has been a long enough season, part two... Let's uh, recap a little bit. I want to make sure that we understand what I mean by demanding season. There are times when the press of ministry is more intense than usual. There's a lot of work and only so much time to get it finished or a lot of opportunity and so many people and so much time to capitalize on it. So, the time you spend working begins to push out into the rest of your life, past your normal boundaries, straight through your margins, and begins to consume everything in its path. It's when ministry becomes an all-consuming monster that is difficult, if not impossible, to tame. The, the press of ministry has grown to the point where it cannot be contained within the normal hours that you routinely, routinely set aside for work. So, both your vertical and relational... Uh, Horizontal relationships, they're stretched thin, squeezed, compacted, reduced, and demoted if not entirely banished. In response, then we tell ourselves that we will just have to push a little harder, skim in a few areas, make a few adjustments and sacrifices, and, and, and make it work for a season. Although it's not easy to tell at first, nature will eventually let you know that one season has passed and the next has arrived. However, when it comes to ministry and serving others, it's far more difficult to tell when a season has ended one should be ended, even if by force. Allowing one season of ministry to blur into the next is dangerous. It is far too easy to manipulate, to be manipulated, or to bias ourselves. With justifications like it's a good cause, ministry requires sacrifice, sometimes you have to adjust your priorities for the sake of the mission, and again, my favorite, well, it is only for a season. Our response to these demanding seasons is often to skim on our priorities. By skim, I mean to quickly or lightly touch while passing over, like a stone you've skipped across the surface of the water. We give a cursory glance at people and responsibilities because we feel that we do not have time to do more. We treat our responsibilities briefly and superficially. We dabble in things that should never be dabbled in, things that should be top priority. When it comes to our connection with God, we're trifling with something that should be all consuming. All that is pressing and urgent gets our attention. While we ignore the treasure that is the relationships of life. In the last podcast, the first of three episodes on this topic, I covered one of two myths that we believe about these demanding seasons in life, and that was that I can get away with skimming. Talked about how it was a lose lose scenario, and um, what is skimming? Um, it was when you dabble in what deserves more. In this episode, I'm going to speak to the second of two myths, which I am sure is not an exhaustive list by any means, uh, about demanding seasons of life, and and, and and I make what I feel, I believe, is a pretty strong argument against relational skimming of any kind. <clears throat> so, when a demanding season has become a long enough season, part two, and myth two, I can never sacrifice too much. I know this is going to take some explaining, so here goes. There is such a thing as too much sacrifice. Even Jesus modeled this. After intense seasons of ministry, he would sneak away with, for some downtime with the Father or with his disciples. If, if a thing of lower priority displaces a thing of higher priority and does so long enough that it also displaces routines that you put in place to protect the higher priorities, you're probably sacrificing too much especially if the reversal of priorities last long enough that they create new routines that leave no margin or sufficient, insufficient margin for rest and relationships that those higher priorities demand. <clears throat> Jesus never modeled mixed-up priorities. Uh, refueling has to happen regularly. Perpetual motion is a myth. Every system tends towards decay, not growth let a thing run long enough without some sort of attention, maintenance, refueling, it'll eventually grind to a stop. Just think think of, you know, stagnant water in a pool that's never agitated. Without stirring, without motion or fuel, it grows green, putrid, and a breeding ground for all things nasty. Spending all your time stirring ministry um spending all your time stirring ministry while neglecting to stir higher responsibilities and relationships leaves them to stagnate. So let's Address our priorities very quickly here. I'm gonna give you what my priorities are. Um, number one is my relationship and time with God. Number two, my relationship and and time with my wife. Number three, my relationship and time with my kids. Number four, my relationship time and in time with family and friends. And in our house, close friends are considered family. And then five, my work or vocation in ministry. So you cannot confuse what you do with who you are. If doing pushes out being, the trouble has been brewing long before the tough season began. <clears throat> my number one is not the same priority as number five. Okay, number one was my time with God. Number two was my vocation or ministry. Those are not the same because relationship and vocation are separate priorities. Just as priority number one is not the same as and should never be confused with number or number two with number three. Number two is my relationship with my wife. Number three is my relationship time with my kids. You cannot combine those. Some people say my first priority is God, my second is family. Well, that's never a good sign. When we combine our children with our spouse, one will always lose out, usually the spouse, and that is never good for the kids. So if number five, let's say, becomes priority one, you need to restore it to where it belongs, or at least be careful that it doesn't stay there. For any extended period of time. The same is true if you move it to number two or three. Again, relationships come before occupation. People before doing. Relationships are a responsibility that God expects us to be faithful with. Yeah, yeah, God will indeed call you to sacrifice. There's no doubt about that. He will indeed ask you to serve for a season in ways that will require you to neglect other priorities. That happens. Here are two other truths. There's seldom a good reason to neglect family that is dependent on you to the point that they can no longer depend on you. Okay, there is seldom a reason, a good reason to neglect family that's dependent on you to the point that they can no longer depend on you. If God, you know, if God calls you home in death while we sacrificially obey him, hey, that's his business. If we neglect our family responsibilities out of misplaced priorities or poor stewardship management, we'll say, of of those relationships, that's on us. Uh, Neglect is not all bad. It may help teach your kids, for example, that they are not the center of the universe. Parents who show up at every game, every concert, every event, they do their kids a disservice. That teaches them that they're the center of the universe. They're, they're, they're number one priority, which they shouldn't be. But remain absent until they begin to distrust you and your love for them. Okay, now then you have a problem with that child and with God. A Faithfulness with relationships that God has placed you in to be faithful with is critical. Those seasons must be short or interspersed with intentional relational effort that's robust enough to protect those relationships. Cannot tell you how many children and spouses have been lost to the kingdom because a significant other ignored them for the misplaced priority of sacrificial ministry that was a sacrifice beyond what God asked. Let me try to to put it another way uh, before we we think about how to determine how long um, you know long enough is and how to mitigate the damage in the midst of an extraordinarily demanding season. So there's such a thing as sacrificing something that God never asked you to sacrifice. I couldn't think of a better example than King Saul. He got confused about his priorities a couple of times. First Samuel 15, 22, Samuel is replying to King Saul, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering of the fat of rams. So obviously, if your sacrifice is a response to his voice, you're doing well. I would never want to demean the cost that millions of Christian martyrs had paid over the millennia, and I would never want it to be true that I became so consumed with work or ministry that my wife lived as a widow or my kids as orphans for any season of time. I would never want them to begin to resent my ministry or, or, or doubt my commitment to them and the family due to real, not perceived, neglect or, you know, due to real, no, not perceived. If it's perceived on their part, that's another issue, okay? King Saul once got so focused on an opportunity to advance the kingdom, one that he thought was slipping away, that he did not sacri- that he did not sacrifice what God did want, and in another time, he did sacrifice what God did not want. What a mess. What a dire consequence that had for him and his kin. If you read 1 Samuel 13, 1-4, 15, 1-23, you'll see that that sacrifice that God never asked um, and, and not making the one he did ask had serious implications for his family.
0: Let's take a short break so you can rest your brain. You've been used to a new episode each week as we work through our first three seasons. As we move into season four, the episodes will drop less frequently, but at least once a month. Whatever the reason, and from wherever you are listening, we are so glad you have come along for the ride. That is why we are excited to invite you to help us determine some of our future content. At the close of this episode, we will tell you how you can send your questions, ideas for topics, and suggested book reviews. If this podcast is helpful, we ask that you take a moment to rate, follow, and share it on whatever platform you use to stream content so that others can find us too. All right, let's finish today's episode of this podcast.
1: This for just a minute. I just said there's seldom a good reason to neglect family that's dependent on you to the point that they can no longer depend on you. We used King Saul as an example. You need to look up those verses I gave you to really dig into that. Um, but remember Abraham. God told that guy to sacrifice his son to him on an altar with fire. <laughs> this seems a little extreme until you realize that God did not want this dad to actually sacrifice his son. God did not want Abraham to actually sacrifice his son. God was simply testing him to see if he was willing. If there was something Abraham loved more than God, That's similar to Matthew 10, 37 and following where it says, If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. We must not remember the story about uh, Abraham offering Isaac as half a story. Well, back in the day, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son to him. So, you know, and and then carry that forward into some kind of um, prescription for how we work today. If you are going to remember that story, do not take part of it out of the whole of it. Do not change the meaning by robbing it of its context. The thing we must remember is that when the whole story is told, God stopped him from literally taking his son's life in order to be obedient to God. God provided an alternative for his son, a way to honor and worship God without damaging the boy. In fact, imagine the impression that made on Isaac after the initial shock of his brush with death. He saw his father nearly make the ultimate sacrifice simply because he loved and trusted God enough to do what he says, even if it made no sense, but required incredible sacrifice. Imagine the impact that had on Isaac. God made a way for this dad to honor God without sacrificing his son. Do I need to repeat it? God made a way for this dad to honor God, to honor him without sacrificing his son. God's plan was that Abraham obey him by being willing to hold nothing back from God, but never had any intention of letting Abraham actually sacrifice his son to him. We can take this a step further. God considered the pagan practice of literally, okay, sacrificing their children to appease their false gods as horrible, detestable, evil, and abomination it never crossed God's mind that his people should do such a wicked and inconceivable thing as an act of worship. This um, would have given Abraham even more reason to pause because you have to believe he knew, God, uh, knew what God thought, uh, that this practice was ghastly, even though the words below were written long after Abraham lived. This is God speaking in Jeremiah 32, 33, and 35. And again, Abraham must have known this true, even though these words were written after his time. Jeremiah 32 says, My people have turned their backs on me and have refused to return. Even though I diligently taught them, they would not receive instruction or obey. They have built pagan shrines to Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinoam. And there they have sacrificed their sons and daughters to Moloch. I've never commanded such a horrible deed. It never crossed my mind to command such a thing. What an incredible evil causing Judah to sin so greatly! Now I'm clearly using, uh, you know, the literal sacrifice of one's children as an illustration for our present-day conversation. Um, it would also then be easily to, you know, sensationalize this whole thing and make over-applied, sweeping statements using, you know, this emotional and ugly conversation to make my point. Um, no, okay, they're not exactly the same thing. Taking the life of a child to honor a deity is different on many levels from a parent getting sidetracked and falling into neglect of family um, by um, good I- ideas and, and well-meaning service. But it's not entirely dissimilar either. Could it not be a kind of death to let ministry so consume you that you neglect your children, like they died and, and you didn't have any kids to, to bother with, and they, in turn, take it out on God? If they end life still angry and separate from God, due in part to our neglect because of overserving, it would be a real death. A scenario that is so common that I could hardly need to state it in order for it to come to most of your minds. People who serve so sacrificially that they sacrifice their relationship with their children and their children end up hating God. I think there's useful application in this story and I believe it to be more helpful than not. God does not want or need you to sacrifice your children for or to him. That horrible evil never, ever crossed his mind. Now, now Jesus even stopped his disciples from from preventing kids from coming up to him to be prayed for at their uh, parents' request. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have those stories. In fact, he angrily rebuked his disciples for doing so. They thought the kids were bothering Jesus or getting in the way of more important ministry, but he corrected them and used the little ones as an object lesson. Jesus did not seem to think that he should avoid the kids so that he could continue ministering to the adults about him. Hmm, I think I'll repeat that. Jesus did not seem to think that he should avoid the kids so that he could continue ministering to the adults about him. I do not think we should get between our kids and God either. The heart of the gospel is about standing up for those who cannot defend themselves and have no champion to do it for them. Unpolluted religion cares for the widow and the orphan, James 1.27. Perfect examples of those who are exposed, defenseless, and needing a protector. You may have thought it true, but God would never neglect or abandon his kids because he was busy balancing the universe. I, for one, am very thankful of that as one of his kids. So in case you did not glean from this, what I've said up to this point, I think skimming is a bad idea all around. Especially when protracted. Extended seasons of skimming on God and loved ones are a mistake, if not sin, or will lead to sin. Something will have to give, and when that something is relationships, think long and hard about long-term impacts of that sacrifice. One that will not be immediately seen. Okay, that's the, the problem with some of these Um, Things we ignore, like relationships, you don't see the impact of them immediately, but you will see it eventually. Sacrificing your spouse or children on the altar of ministry is a very serious decision. I know of no biblical example where young kids or a wife or husband was knowingly and deliberately sacrificed as a result of God's demand or in a way that was applauded and rewarded by God. By sacrifice, I mean to deliberately leave your loved ones to languish or starve physically or emotionally when the power to provide is in your hands. By sacrifice, I mean to deliberately leave your loved ones to to starve and languish physically or emotionally when the power to provide is in your hands. In fact, God commands for, for Hosea regarding his wife Gomer, who was repeatedly and grievously unfaithful? Were the reverse. In Ephesians, God calls for sacrifices that protect, not expose. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave themselves up, themselves up for her, sacrifice themselves, not sacrifice her. What is pure and undefiled religion in God's sight it is caring for the orphan in the window with her distress. Not only James one twenty seven, but you can compare Isaiah one seventeen there. Further requirements for a church leader are that they care for their household and failure to do so disqualifies them from office. 1 Timothy 3, 4-5 through 5, A leader in the church is disqualified for office if they aren't caring for their home. Failure to care for relatives, especially one's own family, means we have denied the faith and are worse than non-believers. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says that. Surely that in some way speaks to the issue at hand. And I will not even bother to outline the dangers and problems of skimming on a relationship with God. Suffice it to say that spiritual growth, you know, growing deeper and closest to God, not flagging or drifting away. How does backsliding due to light and hurried hitting our relationship with God for months on end reflect anything the Bible teaches or models regarding following God? Even while Jesus was making the ultimate sacrifice, one that caused him to feel forsaken by the Father because he turned his back on Jesus in that moment that the world's sins were placed on him, Jesus was still crying out to him, and that separation was short, just three days. I think it's interesting that one possible reason Jesus began his ministry later in life, not the only reason to be sure, was that apparently his dad, Joseph, died when Jesus was younger. And in that culture, it left Jesus responsible to take care for his mom and younger siblings. It's possible that even Jesus put off his ordained sacrifice till he had satisfied his family obligations. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. The most important mission that ever was undertaken was put off was put, was possibly put off temporarily temporarily at least, in part because those who had no provider needed his attention. Remember, Jesus had no wife or kids who were counting on him, so after leaving home, he could serve quite freely. Only occasionally do you see him needing to deal with family issues, and, and a martyr's sacrificial death was his mission, which may in part be one reason why he never married. Maybe he never took on the responsibility because he knew he wouldn't be able to live up to it. What I'm talking about is neglecting relationships for which one is still responsible and able to care for and protect. All right, new this season, you can find transcripts of this podcast at my blog site. Uh, Those show notes, they they not only uh, include the the script I just used, all the references and and several others that I did not include here uh, uh, um, on air, um, some episodes have direct links to books and other things I suggest for reading. And there's just other helpful links uh, there, obviously, that I can't share <laughs> in a podcast, um, plus other um, blog posts that you can read as well. Just go to backslash brave the rapids. That's backslash brave the rapids. Next time on the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard, I'll make seven practical suggestions for how to navigate those demanding seasons, given the reality of these two miss.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, do not waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how God would have you work the new thought into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been. We firmly believe that God will exchange the wounding of the past for the wellness of the future, a transformation that frees us to be wholeheartedly available to Him and those near us. As we walk into that healing, we gain the humble confidence and godly credibility needed to step unrestricted into the life and impact God has for us. And when we experience that for ourselves, it gives us a compelling story from which to call others to experience the same. We pray that God uses the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. If you would like to submit a question or topic for a future episode of our podcast, here is promised is the contact information. The email address is kerry at tworivers.church or text at scdashboard from the social media platform of your choice. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard.